Sorry today. Woo, that came on. How is everybody? Good, good. Hot. Oh, I got a hot from one of my kids. I don't think it's that hot in here. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just being optimistic. For those of you that are watching from home, I find this to be extremely tolerable, and you are, you are missing out. It's not that hot. So uh, it is great to be gathered here with all of you today. My name is Brent Fugate. I'm the senior pastor here at Byfield Parish Church. Uh, am I good, Matt? Okay. All right. Uh, so we've been going through a series in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to continue that series here today. Um, so as, as we do that, this will actually be our final week in 1 Corinthians. We're going to take the summer off of 1 Corinthians. We'll probably return there in the fall. Now, I need to tell you something about myself. I am not a big fan of scary movies, but I have seen my fair share of them over the course of my life. My experience with them is sufficient that I am familiar with the various tools the directors of these movies use to make our palms sweat and make shivers run up person's spine. Creepy music, scary children, they really like the scary children thing. And isolated houses are all common elements in scary movies. One plot twist scary movies often use is the protagonist realization that the psychotic person they are fleeing from is not outside the house. They are inside. Sometimes in the very same room. Leading up to this realization, the person doing the escaping is always trying to get into the house, trying to run into the house. Inside the house, they will be safe. Once inside, they run around looking for doors to lock and windows to shut in an effort to protect themselves from the evil that is outside. The realization that the threat is inside the house is terrifying. Characters in scary movies are consistently bad at evaluating threats. They don't do a good job of identifying where they can be safe. Many of you have probably seen the Geico commercial where the group of young people is running away and they say, should we get into the running car? No, let's go into the garage with all the hanging chainsaws. <laughs> Scary movies make those who watch them think, are you kidding me? Like the characters in a scary movie, Christians often struggle to identify and respond to threats well. Today's text addresses this tendency. So if you would please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. Page 897 in your pew Bible. Those verses are also printed off in your bulletin. 
Hear the word of the Lord. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. How followers of God should interact with the world they live in has been a topic of discussion for every generation of believers. Living in the world is a struggle. As Christians, do we forsake the world? Do we try to change it? Do we accept it as it is? Today's text doesn't fully answer those questions, although they are addressed later in 1 Corinthians and throughout the Bible. What today's text makes clear is that our job as Christians is not to judge the world. We are to deal with the evil in our midst. Our expectations of the world cannot be the same as our expectations of fellow Christians. Exiting the world completely is not a viable option. We do need to purify the worldliness from our own hearts. Christians don't change the world by judging it. We change the world through being the church Jesus has called us to be, the pure and holy bride of Christ, a, a culture with a healthy church will be changing for the better. Christians should have different expectations for the people we interact with in the world than we have for fellow believers. This seems so obvious, it is hardly worth stating. Of course we shouldn't have the same expectations of those that do not claim a faith in Christ as those who do. The two groups are not even attempting to read from the same script. Followers of Christ believe God defines good and bad. Our task is to align our lives with those definitions. Those who don't follow Christ define good and bad from other sources that often contradict God. Typically in our culture, they look to their own hearts. Non-Christians have not experienced the blessings of Christianity. People with a saving faith in Christ have a basic awareness of their own brokenness. Those outside of the church lack Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And yet, we do often 
expect the people of this world to live like Christians should. On an intellectual level, we understand the futility of expecting non-Christians to live in ways that align with Christianity. But on a visceral level, we feel threatened by their behavior. Our fear grows as our, as our society destabilizes. There are historical reasons for the expectations that we have of others that do not claim Christ. Christianity ascended in the years following Jesus' resurrection. In 380, the emperor Theodosius issued the Edict of Thessalonica, which made Christianity, specifically Nicene Christianity, the official religion of the Roman Empire. When the Roman Empire collapsed, the Roman Catholic Church took over many of the functions of the state in the West. The countries that rose up in the following centuries in Europe had a symbiotic relationship with the church, even if it was at times adversarial. To be European was to be Christian. When the Reformation happened, reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin continued to promote general Christian expectations for the whole society. The United States was founded on many of these principles. The close relationship between the religion of Christianity and the culture of the West came to be known as Christendom. And in recent years, that relationship has frayed. It is fallen on hard times, long-standing ties have been severed. It is unclear to what extent Christian morality should determine how people operate. Part of the reason for the ongoing culture battles that we are experiencing right now in their intensity is that we can no longer agree on what type of nation we are to be. In 2021, Christians in America live in a state of tension between our biblical knowledge and the historical legacy we inhabit. Believers around the world that live in much worse, much worse situations, they actually don't share our anxiety about what is happening in their cultures. They have never lived in a culture where Christianity is dominant. Their culture being based on lies is not new to them, it is the norm. They don't accept it, but neither do they experience the same feelings of loss that many American Christians do. What should our expectations be of the world? The Bible would tell us to expect immorality in the world. But we cannot help but feel frustration with our fellow citizens when their morality is divorced 
from historical Christian positions. The tension we feel is not wrong. It isn't an expected outcome of our dual citizenship. We are citizens of this world. It would be hard to not care at all about what happens in the United States when we are so affected by it. We are citizens of God's kingdom as well, which means we know this inferior world is passing away. A struggle has always existed for Christians around how to live in the world without being of the world. There is no earthly nation that has ever existed where a Christian could be 100% comfortable with what was happening. Even the times we look back on as being cut and dry were often not experienced that way by the Christians living in them. At the time of the American Revolution, many Christians debated whether or not they could revolt against their king. During the Civil War, Christians struggled over if they could go into battle against their fellow citizens. In World War II, Christians in military leadership debated whether the firebombing of cities and the deploying of nuclear devices was justified. Expecting this world to struggle in the ways that it does doesn't mean we should expect it to stay the way it is. We should not be surprised the world is a messed up place. To varying extents, and in different ways, every nation and period of history has had different sins which were common. The Bible is very clear about how the world operates. We should have a desire for the world to change, praying for God's kingdom to come in this world is part of being a Christian. While we wait for God to bring about his kingdom, we have to go on living in our present world. To avoid interacting with people living lives of sin in this world, you would need to remove yourself from the world. Many Christians think separation from the world is actually a pretty good option. They are disturbed by what is happening in the world. Again, this is totally understandable. The world we live in seems to be careening down a slippery slope. The other day, I hopped on Facebook and someone I am friends with through Town Connections had posted something that it, it really just broke my heart. It was a moral misunderstanding that they were publicly proclaiming. Every day when I read the news, it makes me want to withdraw. 
evil is being celebrated as good and good is being called evil. Our world feels increasingly unsafe. I worry about my kids' future. Everyone should feel concerned about the moral trajectory our culture is on. The thing is, we cannot avoid interacting with the world's sin. There is nowhere to flee where we will not have to interact with it. People have certainly tried. One thing that's humorous to me, for those of you that don't know, is I'm originally from Tennessee, in case you couldn't tell. And I will periodically, actually pretty frequently, run into New Englanders, some are Christians, some are not, and they will tell me how amazing the South is. In their minds, the South is this idyllic paradise where everywhere you go, country music is being played or something. I'm not sure. And I love the South. I love where I'm from. I think it's a great place. But anyone that thinks that you can move South to escape having to deal with sin is fooling themselves. Anyone that thinks there's some other place you can go to to escape from sin is fooling themselves. As long as we are breathing, we have to interact with this world. Now, that doesn't mean we can't put boundaries on those interactions. Doing so can be wise in certain circumstances. While avoiding sin completely may not be realistic, that doesn't mean we all need to pick up and move to Las Vegas either. While we can't separate ourselves from the world, we can separate the world from ourselves. The truth is, the problem of sin is not just out there, it is in here. In Mark 7, Jesus addresses where evil comes from. He says, for from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they define a person. As the great Russian author Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote in the Gulag Archipelago, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. We can't escape from ourselves. Minimizing our interactions with the world doesn't deal with the main problem. Each of us has these sinful proclivities within. The reason the world is messed up is because it is filled with people who are ruled by their sinful hearts. Mercifully, Galatians 1.4 states, Christians have been delivered from the present evil age. This world has no real power over us. Jesus says in John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The world can and will 
make our lives difficult. We should expect it to. There will be tribulation. The world cannot overcome Jesus Christ, our King. Our hearts, which were once captive to the ways of the world, have been freed. So much of Paul's focus in his letters is whether or not Christians are living out the freedom they have been given. Too often Christians are victors that live like they are losers. The world is always trying to creep back into our hearts. Through Christ, we have the power to withstand every assault of the world. On May 29th, 1453, the city of Constantinople fell to the Ottoman Empire after a 53-day siege. The city had stood as the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire for over a thousand years. During the siege itself, a small group of 7,000 defenders were able to stand against an invading army which first-hand witnesses numbered as high as 300,000. The final collapse of the city's defenses occurred when a small gate in the city wall was accidentally left open, which allowed the invaders to break the resistance. The Lord is a sure refuge for Christians. His walls are strong enough to protect us. We must be vigilant that we don't leave a door to our hearts open. If we are, there is no force in this world that can overcome us. The same potential weakness exists for the church as a whole that exists for individual Christians. We should not waste our time casting judgment on those outside the church. Instead, we are to purge the evil from the church. The world is always going to be filled with sin. It's been that way for kind of a long time. That is not to say there are not periods that are worse than others. There certainly are. Our judgment of the world just doesn't accomplish much. I cannot expect the world to live out Christian standards. Trying to enforce Christian standards in the world through judgment is ineffective. <clears throat> Judging this world's sin is not my job. It's not your job. It is God's job. He does not need our assistance. Sometimes it seems like we think God is not paying attention, and that if we don't step up, nobody will. We can trust God to do what needs to be done in regards to judgment. He has his own reasons for not intervening on our timetable. He knows more than we know. 
His desire is to hold off judgment for as long as possible so that grace can operate. Sin in the church is a greater problem for Christians than sin out in the world. All great empires die from within. Churches do as well. In areas of the world, such as China, where churches experience persecution, sometimes even horrific per persecution, the churches that exist seem to be strong. In areas of the world, such as the United States, where sin within the church is left undealt with, churches tend to be weak. Cultures without viable churches are on a path to judgment. The church is supposed to be salt and light in the world. Without that salt and light, the culture experiences decay. When I look at what is happening in America right now, I see a failure of the church. We are not making disciples of Jesus Christ. Casting evil out of the church is the responsibility of Christians that make up the church. If you could do a study to determine the decline of, of the church in recent decades in Massachusetts, I believe that there is one factor that would have more influence than any other. The clergy abuse scandal in the Catholic Church has had a huge impact. The problem wasn't just that the abuse happened, but that the abuse that happened wasn't dealt with. It is easy for evangelical churches like this one that are not Catholic to give the Catholics a hard time for their failures. Unfortunately, we have our own issues. We need to take sin within the church seriously. Over the past year, a variety of people have asked me how I think coronavirus and everything else that happened in 2020 and 2021 will impact non-believers. Will it cause them to seek God in church communities? My answer is, it depends on Christians. If Christians and the churches they exist in don't seem any different from the world, you may as well just keep on enjoying your Sunday mornings. If we exhibit the same vindictiveness, selfishness, and greed, then I wouldn't expect those in the world to seek answers within these walls. Why would the world look to Christians for answers when Christians don't seem any different? If we address the sin that is always trying to make inroads in our hearts and churches, then the world will be forced to pay attention. Churches that are holy will exert an outsized influence on the culture. In scary movies, the scariest moment is when the protagonist realizes the call is coming from inside the house. This moment of realization is also clarifying. Retreat is no longer possible. The house 
must be taken back. Everything must be done to get the evil out. Until that happens, there can be no safety. Christians need to be aware that the biggest threats to the church come not from the sins of the culture, but the sins taking root in the church. It is not that the sins of the culture are not a big deal. They certainly are. God takes care of that. The task of Christians is to be salt and light in the world. We must be vigilant to keep evil from gaining a place in our hearts. A spiritually healthy church will be able to speak truth to the culture with clarity and hope. Let's pray. Dear Lord, it is much easier to point to others. It's much easier to, to cast blame. It's much easier to judge than it is to address the brokenness in our own hearts, Lord. To address the brokenness in our own families, and our own churches, Lord. I pray that you would give us the courage to do so. I pray that you would inspire us to seek out the sin that has wormed its way into our hearts, Lord, and that we would be able to cast it out, Lord. That we would be able to disciple one another in love. I ask that you would be with this church in particular as we attempt to do that with one another. That we would be gracious and kind towards one another but also that we would have expectations of one another, that we would be firm with one another when necessary, Lord. Lord, we only can do this through your spirit in Jesus' name, Lord, and I pray that you would be with us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.